opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. And good afternoon to everybody out there in Orange County. I hope those lattes and SUVs are treating you well. Yes, it's all getting more expensive. They're taking your Starbucks away from you slowly, inch by inch, and they keep raising the gas prices. So, what do we have for you today here in the OC? A lot to talk about. Um... As promised last week, last week I had to end early on my Heidel interview with the FBI. Don Heidel, if you remember, is the was the former assistant sheriff to uh, dumbass, basically, Mike Corona, the former disgraced sheriff, Mike Corona. And uh, Mike Corona, uh, as you all know, has been indicted by the feds now, and we're slowly getting this little trickling of... Um, what was said to the investigators by certain individuals. Now, some of these transcripts have been released by the defense. Most of them have, actually. Uh, the defense has, has um, released these to say that what is contained in these transcripts should not be admissible in court. The jury should not hear this stuff because it's just way too inflammatory. Of course, the defense is saying, or the prosecution, rather, is saying, no way this shows who Corona really is. We need to have this in there. So uh, I spoke about Don Heidel and his interview, and I wanted to talk this week, and this will be later on in the show, but I want to talk this week about Cavallo and how the Heidel-Cavallo split occurred and a little insight onto Cavallo and who he is and what he's all about, uh, based basically, based primarily on Heidel. So remember, uh, you know, you have to take into account uh, who's speaking here and their perspective on things. And uh, that will be later. I also want to talk about uh, Jaramillo, now, if you remember, George Jaramillo was also an assistant sheriff to the former disgraced sheriff, Mike Corona. Jaramillo, I want to show uh, how he and Corona both operated when it came to Sandy Trujillo. And you'll get to see how sleazy and how manipulative and how um, just disgusting, really, they both acted towards Sandy Trujillo. So that's included in here as well. It's an interview um, that the California Bureau of Investigation, I've come to find out we have a California Bureau of Investigation, another layer of bureaucracy. Uh, the FBI is just not good enough for California. We have to have our own. So that will be up later in the show as well. Um, been good weather out here in the OC, which is good. It's nice. The fair is going on right now. I haven't been out there myself. I'm kind of hoping to get out to the fair before it closes down. I'd like to eat some greasy fried garbage before I... It's not garbage, I know. But, you know, I always feel like garbage after I eat it. Um, but I am looking forward to it. I don't go on the rides anymore. I used to go on the rides. I take that back. I never really went on the rides there. I went on one ride once at the fair, and it scared me so bad I'll never do it again. Uh, but it was a kick in the pants at the same time. It was that ride that you would get hoisted up about 30 feet above the ground, and there was a big net below you, and you were in a harness. And the guy up at the top would say one, two, and on you're expecting three. On two, he'd pull the pin and you drop. Nothing holding you up. You drop right into the net down below. Great ride, thrill, thrilling ride. Uh, a lady though, the year might have been the same year that I rode that ride. It was that year or the year later. She uh, got injured very badly on that ride and off it went, never to be seen again. So what are you gonna do? Uh, those things happen. But the fair food is always a highlight for me. I like to eat as much grease and fat and fried food as possible. It's like the one time of the year that I get to go out and just splurge and be crazy with that stuff. They've got those Australian beer-battered baked potatoes. You know, it's like big wedges of potatoes just fried with 
thick, nasty, just god-awful, artery-hating grease. And uh, you dip it in uh, ranch sauce, of all things. It's like, you know, just adding the fat on. I love it. So, um, and does anybody know if there's cinnamon rolls? I'm like a cinnamon guy right now. I've, I've had a cinnamon fetish for the last, uh, you know, six months to a year, and I can't get enough cinnamon in my diet. And so if anybody knows of any good cinnamon, would you oh, just shoot me an email? By the way, I should, I should let everybody know, too. Uh, the email, well, let's back up a little bit. Uh, you can go to kci.org. And click on my show link, which is the OC show, to get my website. The, the address is just way too long, so I'm not even going to overbear you with it. So it's kci.org. Click on my show, show link, the OC show. You'll get right to my blog. It gives you all the upcoming stuff that we have going here. And, in fact, we do have two very important upcoming things. Also, though, when you get out of your car, if you still want to listen to the show, you can go to kci.org and or org, whatever you want to say, and you can click in the upper right-hand hand corner on streaming audio, and you can listen at home, at your computer, and uh, you can always have KUCI right nearby, either through the air or through the computer. So, a um, couple things to remind you of. August 5th, I'm going to have Christina Shea in. She's a councilwoman for the city of Irvine. It's going to be a very interesting interview. And also on August 26th, if I remember correctly, is the sheriff. The brand-new sheriff, Sandra Hutchins, will be in studio to talk to me about her plans for the Orange County Sheriff's Department, and uh, it should be a very interesting interview. You don't want to miss that one at all. And I will be um, podcasting both of those after the fact, so if you do miss them, it's okay. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take care of you, as always. And you want to go to my website, too, because uh, I try to put up interesting things that I find. Uh, thanks to a listener, I found on WikiLeaks the unredacted transcripts that I'll be reading from today on the Heidel interview. Uh, the ones that the defense put out were redacted, so we have the unredacted ones. And I also have the unredacted uh, hand, uh, transcripts where Corona is speaking with Heidel and he uses the N-word. So, uh, good stuff there. As always, like I said, go to kci.org, click on my show link, The OC Show, and you will go right to my blog, and all that good stuff is there. So, let's get into it. I want to start with a few things that are, well, Orange County related and then not. Uh, you know, I always like to kind of point out when, when the liberals and the liberal media contradict themselves and show just how they cannot get it straight here with Obama. They, they, they're, they're losing it big time when it comes to their coverage of Obama. In one hand, they're giving him beautiful coverage. They're not even talking about McCain. McCain who? I, I mean, I don't, frankly, I don't even know if the guy's still in the campaign. Uh, Obama's getting all the spotlight, which is fine. I, I mean, I, I think McCain would be best just to step down at this point. Leave it alone. Just you're not going to win. There's no way you can win with the force of Obama. But at the same light, it's like they're losing something. They're losing their, all these years they've been able to blame Whitey for everything. And they're losing that. And they're losing their, their, their grip on a segment of the population that they've always had their grip on. The, the liberals, the Democrats, and the media. And, it's, and they don't know what to do with it. And I'll show you what that's all about in a second. Uh, but Orange County news-wise, because we should always talk about Orange County first... Um, John McCain and Barack Obama are going to actually appear together at a big box church here in Orange County. 
That's right. Only here in Orange County could that possibly happen, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, It's the Big Box Saddleback Church over in Lake Forest, and apparently there is room there. Well, there's a 20,000-member church. It's a four-campus megachurch is what the the Los Angeles Times calls it. I like to call them Big Box Churches, kind of like the Big Box stores like Target or Walmart. Um, Shove them in there. It's it's a... uh, it's a mill, basically. That's what those big box churches are. It's keeping keeping money in the pockets of the pastor. They make lots of money off of us. Anyway, um, apparently the pastor there, his name is Rick Warren. He will be the commentator that day. He is the author of a best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, and he will interview each candidate for an hour, one after the other. They will appear on stage together for apparently a few minutes. So I guess they won't be up there together the whole time. Interesting. Um, they uh, The big thing is who's going to talk first, and I guess they did a coin toss, and that's going to be Obama. So Obama's glow and happiness and hope go all the way to the to- coin toss. He is the victor. He will win. Now, from CNN.com today. Thank you for CNN.com today. They uh, pulled this one out for me. I love this one. This is the liberal media that I was just speaking about. They are absolutely beside themselves. They do not know what to do. The headline, could an Obama presidency hurt black Americans? It's just never good enough for them, is it? I mean, they've got a black candidate. They've got, you know, We're showing that America isn't about us white racist pigs anymore. That's what we're showing them, that it's not about whitey controlling and keeping the black man down, right? But yet they just can't let it go. Right there in the headline, they cannot seem to lose that power and that grasp that they've had to be able to blame whitey for everything. Quote, we had a dream, now it's a reality. That's the slogan on a popular T-shirt linking Senator Barack Obama's presidential run to the Reverend Martin Luther King's dream of racial equality. It's one of several T-shirts, including, quote, Barack is my homeboy, that reflect Americans' euphoria over Obama's White House bid. Supposed to change it to the Black House? No, I'm sorry. But there are others who warn that an Obama presidency could hurt African Americans. They say an Obama victory could cause whitey to ignore, I I put that in there, could cause white Americans to ignore entrenched racial divisions while claiming that America has reached the racial promised land. Come on, folks, let's pull it back together. I think we all know that racism in any one form, in many forms, is going to continue to exist in America because that's what happens when you put different races together in the same damn room. All right, we are the melting pot, but yet we kind of still coagulate and do our own things. Okay, it's never going to end. But, you know, again, let's not lose sight. We have it much better here than anywhere else in the world. And if you want to talk about racism in the rest of the world, go anywhere else. And you will see racism that is far greater and far worse than anything we have here in America. And the fact that Obama is now a presidential candidate and will most probably win this race should send loads of signals to all the libs and all the Democrats and all the media out there that, you know what, it's over. It's time to start moving past the segregation. It's time to start moving past slavery. 
Let's start pushing it forward. Anyway, Paul Street, author of the forthcoming book, Barack Obama and the Future of American Politics, says Obama risks becoming an Oval Office version of talk show host Oprah Winfrey. Well, that's nice. Just throwing him right under the bus there, equating him with a talk show host. She and former Secretary of State, she and former Secretary of State Colin Powell are African-American figures whose popularity allows some white Americans to congratulate themselves for not being racist. That would only be Democrats that are congratulating themselves for that. As far as I know and as far as the conservatives that I run in circles with, we're not congratulating ourselves for any of that. We are basically saying these people worked their asses off, they excelled at what they did, and they achieved. And that's where it begins, and that's where it ends. Let's keep that straight right now. Quote, they're cited as proof that racism is no longer a significant barrier to black advancement and interracial equality, Street said. This isn't new. Go to the 19th century, and southern aristocrats would point to a certain African-American landowner who was doing well to prove that whites are not racist. I think this is far different than that. Nick Shapiro, an Obama spokesman, says Obama believes that America has made tremendous progress in the last 50 years. Of course he's going to say that. They can't look like they don't like Whitey. They need Whitey. Whitey accounts for 77% of the vote in America. I mean, they, they need Whitey. They can't make it look like they don't like white people, even though I think Michelle probably doesn't like white people, but that's okay. Quote, however, the suggestions that somehow Senator Obama's campaign represents an easy shortcut is not realistic, Shapiro said in a statement. Senator Obama believes that we still have a lot of work to do. And that's not just true for the issues facing blacks or Latinos, but for women and other communities struggling to secure the basic necessities in life like jobs, housing, health care, and quality education. Let's key in on those right now. Folks, I know all of you out there who are listening are thinking to yourselves, what's Obama going to do for me? And that's part of the problem. That's why I'm not voting for Obama. I'm not quite sure I'm going to vote for McCain either, though, folks. I mean, they both really don't do much for me, either one of them. Thank you. But Obama is only here to do these four things. Create jobs by raising taxes because they're going to create more government jobs. Housing, that's going to have to raise our housing because they're going to start doing more low-income housing, and that's got to be subsidized by somebody. Who's it going to be subsidized by? You and me. Healthcare, socialized medicine is on the table, folks. That is what's going to happen. Socialized medicine is going to happen, and who's going to pay for it? It's not going to be Obama. It's going to be you and me, the middle class. Baby, we're going to be the ones stuck with this. And quality education, folks, education is in the doldrums, especially here in California. What do they want to do with it? They want to throw more money at it. So who's going to pay for that? Once again, you and me. So... Might not. We'll leave it at that. Are we past the post-racial society? Any suggestion that an Obama presidential victory could set race back relations may seem odd or even inappropriate. His presidential campaign has been framed by many observers as a glowing example of America's move to a post-racial society. You know, I should back up just a bit and say, you know, let's call this how I see it. I was a police officer for six years down in San Diego. Three of those years, I worked in a predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhood. And do you want to know who the most racist, most virulent racist group of individuals I ever ran across? It were the blacks in that neighborhood. They were incredibly racist. Not even 
to others. And that's why, that's why, folks, they cannot put blacks and Hispanics together in jail. A big, I don't know if this is going to be a big surprise for you, but they hate each other to the limit. Blacks and Hispanics do not get along. And I saw more nasty race-related um, just bigotry and racism in that community than I've ever seen in any white community. So, you know, it does, the door does swing both ways. And that's how I go back previously to what I said earlier. If you put a bunch of different cultures together in the same room, like we have here in this great country called the United States of America, there's going to be racism. You're never going to get rid of it. But it doesn't mean we can't always strive to do better. Quote, racial polarization used to be a dominating force in our politics, but now, but we're now a different and better country. Paul Krugan, a New York Times columnist, wrote last month about Obama's political rise. The reaction in the African-American community to Obama's success has been celebrated with joy, which is interesting because most times when black people make it good, most people in the community say he sold out to whitey. So we'll... Very, I mean, they said that about Colin Powell, and they also said it about uh, Condoleezza Rice. Who was that? Uh, Belafonte? Harry Belafonte was saying that uh, uh, Colin Powell was nothing but a porch inn for George Bush. I mean, come on. Colin Powell was probably one of the greatest Americans that we've had in the last 20, 30 years. He has done a great service to his country, and it's because he worked hard, and he did what he had to do just like the rest of us. When Obama became the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee in June, many African Americans cried because they said they never thought they would live to see such a day. Vendors soon started selling t-shirts of Obama's portrait pasted alongside King and Walgreens stores and on online stores. Yet there are a few political commentators who warn African Americans that an Obama victory could be twisted to suppress the push for racial equality. Again, This is, you know, we are panicking about something we do not need to panic. All because Obama gets elected as the president of the United States, because I think he will get elected as the president, does not mean that racism is over. But what it does mean is that you got to stop bitching about the whitey keeping the black man down. That's what it means. It means you got to get out there and work like the rest of us and start taking care of business. Obama talked about it last week in an article I read online where he, quote-unquote, admonishes the African-American community and tells Obama told the African-American community they got to start taking care of their kids, they got to start pulling their families together, and they got to start getting out there and taking care of business. So it's not from me. Or it's not just from me, in case you got all worried out there that I was going on some kind of a racist tangent. It's Obama who's talking about this stuff, and I just happen to agree with him. Most of these commentators are African-American, but they also include white, Latino, and conservative pundits. These commentators say that there is a subliminal appeal to Obama's presidential candidacy that has been ignored. Obama doesn't just represent change. He represents atonement for America's ugly racial past for others, they say. And, you know, we keep living it over and over again. Something that occurred, you know, with segregation 50 years ago and uh, slavery 100 years ago, we keep living it 140, 150 years ago. Uh, We keep reliving it like it happened yesterday. 
and we ignore all the progress that has been made. It drives me nuts. And yes, I know, it's not perfect, but hey, we're working towards it. Steve Salyer, a columnist for the American Conservative Magazine, wrote last year that some whites who support Obama aren't driven primarily by a desire for change. They want something else Obama offers them. White guilt repellent. Quote, so many whites want to be able to say, I'm not one of them, those bad whites. Hey, I voted for a black guy. That's just insane, all right? I mean, that's just idiocy. I don't know that I've ever said, and I don't know anybody else who's ever said, I want to be have white guilt repellent. I mean, that's ridiculous. And I'm not one of those bad whites. I voted for a black guy. That's like saying, oh, I can throw down Jews because there's Jews in my family, even though I'm not a Jew. Or I can make fun of Catholics because my wife's a Catholic. Or... Um, I can I can say the N-word because my best friend is black. I mean, that's just ridiculousness. Why do we listen to this kind of stuff? Why do we let ourselves be sucked into this? I mean, this is a bunch of BS. Hey, I voted the black guy for president. I mean, that's just, that's asinine. Salyer cited another reason why many whites want Obama as president. They hope that when a black finally moves into the White House, it will prove to African Americans once and for all that white animus isn't the cause of their troubles. Well, you know, I kind of have to agree with that one, though. All blacks have to do is act like President Obama and their problems will be over. Well, that part is a little bit far-fetched. All right, look, here's what you have to do in America to succeed. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, Hispanic, Asian, you name it, Chinese, Japanese. It doesn't. See, the beautiful thing about America is we do not give two licks of where you came from or what you do in your personal life. All we want to know is, are you going to make us money? Okay, that's all we care about in America. Are, we, are you going to make us money, and are you going to do it legally? Are you going to be a nice person? That's pretty much all we care about. So this notion that if Obama becomes a president and black people act like Obama, well, if they act like Obama, then they're just acting like Americans. That's what Americans do. They excel. They succeed. They go out. They get educated. They work for a living. They raise a family. It's not acting like Obama. It's acting like an American. And it's nobody's fault but, frankly, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton's that the black community has been held down all this time. Because Al Sharpton and, and Jesse Jackson have been using the mantra of it's Whitey's fault to enrich themselves and to keep their people down so they can continue to enrich themselves. What has Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton done for their people lately? Hmm? Nothing. They're in almost the same exact position as they were 20 years ago when they started this mess. Ah, 50 years ago. You know, Jesse Jackson will say he did it with uh, Martin Luther King. He's been riding Martin Luther King's coattails, and I'm sure King is rolling over in his grave each time Jesse Jackson utters that. By the way, I, on, on a note about Jesse Jackson, on another radio station, 97.1, on Thursdays from 8 to 9, there's a segment called, What the Hell Did Jesse Jackson Say? And they play little snippets of Jesse Jackson, and people call in and try to figure out what he says. It's hilarious. It is absolutely, and I can't believe they have enough content to go an hour a week for as long, I don't know how long they'll be doing it, but if you ever get a chance to listen to it, it's absolutely fascinating. It's funny, funny stuff. So, essentially... If we say to them, oh, black people, just act like Obama, you'll be fine. How about we just say, look, the American dream is out there for all of us. Take hold of it. 
Obama did it. It worked for him. He worked hard. You can't get through Harvard just because you're black. Right? Glenn Ford, executive editor of the online journal BlackAgendaReport.com, offered some white Americans a free solution to the race problem. Quote, millions of whites came to believe Obama could solve the race problem by his mere presence at no cost to their own notions of skin privilege. I have no idea what that means. I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) Other African-American commentators say the post-racial tag attached to Obama could be used to dismiss legitimate black grievances. Andra Gillespie, an assistant professor at Emory University's political science department, says Obama's success doesn't mean America has become a post-racial society. You know, what does this article keep saying over and over again? We're not a post-racial society. We're not a post-racial society. Why do they? Why are they so worried about that? Are they worried that we're going to forget about black people or that they're going to lose their base? I mean, I said it to my wife today. I think they're so afraid that we're going to move to a post-racial society And don't get me wrong, I don't really think that's going to happen. But I think they're afraid that that's going to happen and they're going to lose their base because people who go out and make money and make lots of money don't want to get taxed for that money. And the Democrats don't want to lose their base. The liberals don't want to lose their base. And it's the gift that keeps on giving. If you can blame white guy, whitey, for all of the black America's problems, it's the gift that keeps on giving. It gives you something to talk about each campaign cycle. It gives the media something to talk about. It's always great when a cop goes out and beats a black guy. God, that's just a great story for the media. It really is a great story. God, can we get any more of that? Or, hey, prison, bo- prison populations are majority black. God, that's a great story. It's the gift that keeps on giving. So you can see why they're a little bit panicky that we might actually start to move past a post-racial society. And it makes you wonder, if the liberals are the one who wrote this, and they're worried about that, what is their agenda all about? I think we all know that. It's about keeping their power. It's about keeping their base. They don't want to lose that. And if it means sacrificing black people for their cause, I think they would do it. It doesn't mean... And this is the same Andrea Gillespie. It doesn't mean that there aren't prejudiced people anymore. Well, duh. Thank you very much for that, Professor Gillespie. Systematic racism is a form of racism that's entrenched in institutions. Some argue that it's the primary cause for intractable problems in the African-American community that range from standard public schools to disproportionate rates of imprisonment, she says. Electing a black president does not mean that America is ready to take on systematic racism, Gillespie says. It wears you, it's wearing me out. A rising tide doesn't lift all boats, Gillespie said. Just because Obama gets elected doesn't mean the lives of poor black people are automatically going to improve. What about the lives of poor Hispanics or the lives of poor white people? Yes, there are still poor white people in America. Guess what? Basically, if you draw a line at, like, Arizona... And another line at like New York, and you you look at that space in between, that's all poor white America. They call it flyover country in politics, right? It's flyover country because those are all the poor people, and they're mostly white. Oh, amazing, because guess what? Whites still make up the majority of the population in America. I know it doesn't seem like it. I know we think that it's something else, blacks, Hispanics, whatever, Asians. 
but the majority of poor people are still white. Oh, unbelievable. Amazing. You make, I mean, you would think the only poor white people or the only poor people in America are black based on what Gillespie's saying. Okay. Ah, she goes on. It could actually get worse for poor African Americans, she says. Oh, it keeps getting worse. People, quote, people could say if Barack Obama can succeed and someone can't get off the stoops in the hood, it's their fault and it has nothing to do with systematic racism. How can we have systematic racism when if you go to any scholarship book, any scholarship book in the public university system today and most probably the private university system, what are those scholarships going to be for? They're going to be for poor, black, or Hispanic kids. That's what they're going to be for. They're not for any white kids. The scholarships for white kids are few and far between. Systematic racism, that's ridiculous. They can go out and just because of the color of their skin get in their foot in the door much faster than any white person. I know it because I saw it for the entire time that I worked for the city of San Diego. They pandered to blacks and Hispanics and females. They would do anything possible. They would lower standards. They would make tests easier. They would hold those people by the hand to get them in. And that's the problem. That's affirmative action. That's what we've had to live with for the last 50 years since Johnson. That is why we are where we are today, because if you tell a segment of the population, it doesn't matter, black, Hispanic, white, Japanese, Chinese, it doesn't matter. If you tell any segment of the population, hey, look, we know you can't do it. We know that you aren't smart enough. We know that you can't, that you're not capable enough. We know that we have made things so difficult for you. We're going to change that. We're going to lower the standards for you. We're going to make things much, much easier for you. We're going to help you out. And in fact, you don't even need to work as hard, really, because we're going to take care of you. If you tell anybody that, what are they going to do? They're going to go to the lowest common denominator, because that's what human nature is all about. We do things that are easy. We like the easy way. It's just basic human psychology. And so they have done Test after test, study after study. In fact, there was a recent study done where they took black kids and they told one group of black kids, we know you can't do well in this test, don't worry about it. They took another group of black kids and they said, look, we know you're going to do excellent on this test. You're going to excel. You're going to exceed uh, expectations. You're going to ace it. And guess what happened? The kids that they told, oh, we know you're not going to do well. Don't worry about it. Just try. They scored 20% less, 20% lower on the test than the ones that that we're told, hey, you can do it. Now, I know that's one tiny little example, but I think it translates out to a larger picture. And I don't think it has anything to do with institutional racism at this point. It has to do with the family, and it has to do with what starts at home. And if people can't get off their rear ends and get their families in order, then you can't expect government in any way, shape, or form to take care of business. It's just not going to happen. They cannot take care of what parents should be taken care of. Obama has responded to such criticism before. In his A More Perfect Union speech in March, he dismissed claims that his candidacy was fueled by a desire to purchase racial reconciliation on the cheap. He acknowledged that racial disparities in education and wealth continued to exist and were linked to a legacy of Jim Crow and slavery. Quote, I have never been so naive as to believe 
that we can get beyond our racial divisions in a single election cycle or with a single candidacy, particularly a candidacy as imperfect as my own, Obama said during a speech. And I think he's absolutely right on that. Uh, well, let's go through it. Why not? A black languish, or excuse me, a black black lash against Obama? Despite what Obama has said, his presidency could prove a black backlash. It's hard to say that one quick. Because the expectations are so high, others say. African Americans who would expect a President Obama to be a vigorous advocate for their cause may be disappointed by Obama's approach to race if he becomes president. Well, absolutely. Again, the black population is what? 8% of the population? 10%? It's not very much. Maybe 20% at the most. I'm not sure on the exact numbers, but I know it's not much. Hello, he's the President of the United States. You know, it's just like these people who think that he's going to come in there and he's going to pull us out of Iraq right away. That's incredibly stupid and naive to think that. Sorry to say it, but it's true. Or people who think that he's going to diminish the role of the presidency or the power of the presidency. It's not going to happen. He's going to continue wiretapping just like George Bush. I guarantee it. He is not going to stop wiretapping terrorists. He doesn't want to be the first one that gets attacked post-Bush. So... Let's not be naive. Author Street, or excuse me, Author Street says Obama may be a symbol of bold racial change, but he is personally cautious about race. A President Obama won't want to appear to favor blacks because he might lose political support if he appears as the angry black man in the White House. Oh, my God. Street says Obama understands that risk and has run a race-neutral candidate who talks about racial oppression as something largely confined to the past. Barack plays a very active role in dampening down race consciousness, Street said. Race neutrality is one of the greatest characteristics of his campaign. African Americans may also be disappointed by an Obama presidency because they may have forgotten what Obama is. A politician, says David Sirota, author of The Uprising, book that examines how populist movements in America shape public policy changes. He's like any politician, he, ca- he uh, cautions. He's a potential vehicle for change, and I think he is a good vehicle, but he is just a vehicle. His presidency may represent fundamental change, but it doesn't mean he will initiate such sweeping changes if he's elected. Politicians, even the best-intentioned ones, are weather vanes. Sorota says if the wind isn't blowing in the right di- direction, They will perpetuate the status quo, and I think that you're going to find that's going to happen more because, remember, all presidents have to go to the center. They have to accommodate all of us because of the president of the United States. That's why they all move to the center, folks, during the regular campaign. When it's the uh, um, primaries, they're all craziness. They're leftists or they're rightists. They're They're just nuts. And those crazy people on the fringes just flock to them. Yes, Obama's going to take us out of Iraq. He's going to cure global warming. It's going to be wonderful. And white people are going to love black people and vice versa. It's just going to be a cornucopia of fun. It will take more than a presidential candidate to change status quo. It'll take a movement. Maybe a bowel movement. I don't know. Uh, My concern is that people will think... That by e- simply electing Obama, change will come, whether it's on race or economic justice issues. Uh, if people believe that, then real change will not happen. Okay, that's the end of that one. So I'm going to take a quick break here. Um, good stuff. I love it when CNN just posts that stuff up for me. It uh, makes me happy. I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, man, I went long on that, but who cares? It's my show. Um, 
You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Cameron Jackson. This is the OC Show. Coming up after the break, you won't want to miss it. I'm going to talk about who uh, Joe Cavallo, well, not who he is, but uh, what happened between Don Heidel and Joe Cavallo. What, what was the rift all about? Uh, the interesting, interesting stuff. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the OC Show. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am Cameron Jackson. Let's go ahead and let's talk about the former disgraced. See if it'll come up for me. Come on, baby. Where are you? Sheriff Sheriff Mike Mike Corona. Corona. Oh, yeah. My favorite theme song is for the former disgraced sheriff, Sheriff Mike Corona. It's this banjo music because what have I come to learn about him over the last several years? Well... He's a bumbling fool. Not only is he a bumbling fool, but he's a racist, he's a bigot, and he's a sexist. Yep, that's right. In his own words, my friends, he uses the N-word. Oh, yeah, and he talks about women in very, very naughty, 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 naughty ways. He's a bad, bad man. Maybe that's part of the reason why they are, uh, you know, indicting him. Because he didn't do something good. He did something wrong. And I just love talking like this to the music because... It is so, Sheriff Mike Corona. All right. So, uh, welcome back. A <laughs> couple things to update you on as far as uh, good old Mike Corona is concerned. And uh, what are those things? Well, uh, let's turn that off. We don't need that. <laughs> um, the trial has been postponed yet once again. Oh, that's right, folks. We have to wait a little bit longer to see what happens. But remember, mark my words, I said it last week. I'll say it again. In fact, it was about the same time last week that I said it, and I'll say it again. He is not going to go to trial. This is just all fun and games. We're just extending the amount of time that he gets to be free. That's all we're doing because he's going to plead out because he is not going to want the majority of this stuff to come out into the public realm. It's going to be something for somebody else to write about later on down the line. But he is going to plead out this whole thing that we're going to go to trial. It's a farce. So, Corona trial postponed until the uh, October uh, from Christine Hanley at the L.A. Times, our good friend, Christine Hanley. A federal judge this week postponed the corruption trial of former Orange County Sheriff Mike Corona until October, agreeing with the defense team's request for additional time to prepare. In granting the continuance, U.S. District Court Judge Andrew Gulliford found that this case is so unusual and complex that it would be unreasonable to expect Corona to be ready by the previously scheduled August 26th trial date. Corona's lawyer had requested more time after prosecutors turned over 12,000 pages of witness statements on top of everything else that they had already given them. They had 12,000 more. Among other things, this high-profile case has presented many distinct issues and voluminous documents, Guilford said Friday in his ruling. Guilford also agreed to Corona's request for an October 28th trial date, noting that the court's goal will be to finish the proceedings before Christmas. We'll see. Corona, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, the trial of Corona and Hoffman is expected to, t- is expected to take six to eight weeks And more than 100 witnesses are expected to testify. That's not quite true. 100 may be called. It is not necessarily the case that they will all testify. Under a new schedule outlined Friday by Guilford, the court will begin questioning potential jurors in early October, and the witness lists are due the week before trial. So, the plot thickens. Let's uh, cue up a little bit of um, 
music here. I want to get some little mood mood music going. Oh yeah, that's good. Let's see, is that coming out? I think so. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I like the mood music. It's kind of a, some lounge music because when I read this stuff from Don Heidel, if you don't remember, Don Heidel was a former assistant sheriff to the former disgraced sheriff, Sheriff Mike Corona. He and uh, Joe Cavallo and George Jaramillo and uh, were the the team forever. They were they were in it t together. They were going to take the control of the sheriff's department and they were going to run it like a, a mafioso type gig. Um, and pretty much that's how it worked out. Um, I don't know if that's what their intent was, but that's certainly how it played out. Uh, Cavallo, if you know, is the friend of Corona, friend of Heidel, friend of Jaramillo. He's kind of on the periphery. He was never in the sheriff's department. He's an attorney. Uh, he ran a bail bond scheme that he got prosecuted for. Uh, the reason he was prosecuted for it was uh, essentially he ticked off Corona, and Corona wanted to discredit him because Corona knew that he was being investigated by the feds, and he wanted one less person one less person to be able to testify against him and that one person was Joe Cavallo because Joe Cavallo knows quite a bit they've been friends for 20 years he's probably the person who's been Corona's friend longer than anyone else 20 years they were friends together and uh, he tried to discredit him so that when he goes up on the stand he's a convicted felon now uh, I believe yeah they got him for a felony he was basically running a bail bond scheme where uh, uh, bail bonds guys would only refer clients to Joe Cavallo and you can't do that uh, so Anyway, he got caught. Uh, that was a pro that was a political prosecution, if anything was. I mean, the guy should have totally run for amnesty on that one. I, I mean, Schroeder, Michael Schroeder, the handler for Corona, totally was behind that thing. So, shows what happens when you tick off his wife. Schroeder's, that is. All right, so, um, uh, Heidel was talking to the FBI investigators last year, back in September, and he's kind of giving them the story of what's going on with all the players here, with Jaramillo, with Cavallo, with Corona, and he gets into discussions with the FBI about Cavallo and some of his dealings with Cavallo, and it kind of gives us a picture of who Cavallo is, and there's some juicy details in there, and I said at the top of the hour that I was going to get to the Sandy Trujillo part. But look, folks, I mean, this stuff is so good. I'm going to have to save that again for next week. So that's okay. We'll do the Sandy Trujillo stuff next week. That shows you what kind of a scumbag and sleazebag George Jaramillo was. And we'll do the uh, Cavallo stuff now. So uh, Hyder recalled, and this is from the FBI interview, uh, Hyder recalled on occasion when he called a bail bondsman named Ron to assist in posting bail for Greg Heidel. You remember Greg is Don's son. Greg is the one who got convicted for raping that girl. He raped her with a Snapple bottle, and uh, she was unconscious. He did it with his two friends, Kyle and Keith. They videotaped it on Daddy's uh, pool table with uh, you know pool cues and Snapple bottles and uh, lit cigarettes. They violated that young girl, and they were sent to prison for that. The second time Greg needed to get bailed out of custody, Cavallo was upset with Heidel for not using some, quote, Spanish kids for the bail bond regarding Greg Heidel. And Heidel felt Cavallo was more upset about not getting the bail bond cut than he was concerned about getting Greg Heidel out of custody. Essentially, Cavallo wanted to get his fees. <coughs> he was getting kickbacks from the bail bonds guys as well. Uh, Heidel said he watched bail bond money coming into Cavallo's office and saw Cavallo put the money in a certain drawer. Heidel also recalled that Cavallo once made a comment that he didn't pay taxes on this money. Well, if it's cash, eh. prostitutes now. Heidel said there were a number of times Cavallo was on Ed Greech's boat with prostitutes with Corona and Greech. 
Now, I'm sure the Bible-thumping, God-loving, God-fearing Corona never touched any of those prostitutes. I mean, we come on. In fact, Corona himself mentioned the fact that women were on Gretchen's boat. Jeez, Don, could you imagine? This is me. John, Don, there were women on that boat. What was I supposed to do? Juxtapose that to uh, Corona talking to Heidel in the Fleming Steakhouse while he was under wire with the FBI and uh, telling Heidel about how he'd like to bang the uh, uh, waitress. <laughs> said it'd be like old times. Uh, Heidel said Cavallo has a list off of the telephone numbers for prostitutes. Uh, excuse me, a list of the telephone numbers for prostitutes. But guess that Grich was the one who got the prostitutes when they were on his boat. Heidel recalled the time when Cavallo was with a prostitute at the Balboa Bay Club and also said that Cavallo would have prostitutes on his own boat. According to Heidel, Cavallo would take settlements from clients and either not pay or send them a small check, and Corona was aware of this. Heidel recalled that in approximately 2002, there was a teenage party at Cavallo's home, and an OCSD deputy responded to the call at the party. Upon the deputy's arrivals, Cavallo got into the face of the deputy and was handcuffed. Cavallo and his wife, Liz, oh, he's married. Prostitutes? Anyway, uh, called Jaramillo and Cavallo was ultimately released. The next day, both Jaramillo and Corona were joking about the incident. Heidel said Tom Davis was the captain of the division in charge of the deputy at the time. Bum, bum. Heidel was also recalled that, or excuse me, Heidel also recalled that Cavallo was involved in two physical confrontations at Cavallo's office. In one of these confrontations, the Irvine Police Department was called. Heidel heard from Cavallo that Debbie Corona once called Cavallo about the child of a close friend of Debbie Corona's who was arrested. Apparently, Debbie Corona got... Uh, is that even funny? No, that's not even good. Let's see. Oh, yeah, I guess it is good. Kind of shows you what they're all about here. Apparently, Debbie Corona got the uh, file of this child moved to another judge. That's a nice, nice, powerful thing to do. And Debbie Corona needed a lawyer to say he was the child's lawyer and that the judge was going to order the child to get counseling and be released to the OCSD. Haramil then told Heidel that two dignitary protection deputies went to pick up the child in a county car and brought the child back to Corona's office. <laughs> it's a conflict of interest, big time. Heidel said Cavallo would know the name of the judge involved in this case. Cavallo told Heidel that this child was a bad kid and Cavallo was mad because he was never paid for his services. Yeah. I like this duplicitousness here. Cavallo also claimed that Heidel claimed to Heidel that he gave Corona $10,000 during the Corona's first campaign. Heidel said Cavallo probably knew that Heidel was making reimbursement campaign contributions to Corona's campaign. That's hot! I love it. So, it went to, so what he's saying is that Cavallo hears through the grapevine that Heidel is repaying everybody. See, that's how Corona was able to get his money. People would give money to the campaign knowing full well that Heidel was going to reimburse them. So they weren't out any money because there was a campaign contribution limit of like what $1,000, $1,200 at the time. wasn't much. So the scheme was that. It was very simple. So Cavallo thinking, hey, no problem. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out ten grand. Who knows if he even did it? He probably said he did. Maybe not. Who knows? And then he gets ten grand in return from Heidel. I love it. Oh, what have we got here? Uh, Heidel mentioned an, an Egyptian mortgage broker. There can't be anything good about that. I'm sure he supports Al Qaeda. Maybe they'll get Corona for terrorism. That'd be good. Whose name could not be recalled? Of course, it couldn't be recalled. Uh, that went to Corona in an effort to press charges against Jaramillo, Lisa Jaramillo, and Cavallo for hustling him. 
This person was interviewed by Corona and told Corona that Cavallo Jaramillo and Tom Davis were in his office conspiring about screwing Corona. Hotter recalled an incident in which occurred at Knollwood's restaurant, during which Jaramillo came to Heidel. Jaramillo, of course, is the other assistant sheriff, part of Team Forever. Came to Heidel and gave him a veiled threat, saying Cavallo needed more money to work on the Greg Heidel case. Jaramillo told Heidel that Cavallo had one proffer session with the feds, and if Heidel gave Cavallo money, Cavallo will say there is an attorney-client privilege between he and Heidel. If Heidel, Heidel did not give the money, Jaramillo said Cavallo would burn him. Burn Heidel. On a separate occasion, Jaramillo told Heidel that Cavallo went to the feds and embellished his story and told Heidel that Cavallo was not Heidel's friend. I mean, look at these guys. Team Forever. Team Forever is not forever, folks. They were screwing each other big time. Lining it up. They knew each one. It's, it's beautiful to watch these guys. and There was no way this could hold together. They were, And that's why each one of them, even though Schroeder and Corona tried to discredit Jaramillo by putting him in jail. Remember the CHG technology stuff? Uh, long story, but long story short, uh, they tried to get uh, Jaramillo, and they did for basically taking money, bribes. <clears throat> he was put in jail. He's out down, out down for the count. Then they do the same thing to Cavallo. They prosecute him for something that goes on day in and day out in society. Nobody else gets prosecuted for it, but they went after Cavallo, and they got him for it. So they kicked two guys down. They got Jaramillo, Cavallo, gone, discredited. And I guess, man, judging by the conversation that Cavallo, uh, Corona had with Heidel, I guess he was able to stay in good with Heidel. Although I've heard that Heidel, uh, is, you know, eats lunch and has going-ons with Schroeder here and there. So I think, you know, maybe that's why they didn't go after Heidel. Maybe he has dirt on them. They didn't want to go after him. But needless here to say, uh, the bottom line is, even though these people have been discredited, they're all credible. And the reason they're all credible is because they've all been screwed the same way and by the same people. And it's, it's just lovely. It's just lovely to see how this is panning out. Uh, I think that that's about it for the Cavallo Heidel stuff. It kind of shows you, uh, yeah, it is. It shows you what uh, those guys were all about. It shows you how duplicitous they were. It shows you that they were only in it for the money. Remember, folks, when I say that Corona and his crew, Heidel, Jaramillo, um, they weren't public servants. They were here to make a buck. They were here to screw the rest of us over, to use the power of their office to um, basically uh, have their way. And uh, they had a good old time for about eight, nine years, and then it all went away. Thankfully, it all went away. Uh, no more of this. I think we've got a better person in there now. I'm hoping that we do. Uh, anyway, um, coming up next, we've got Play It, Play it As It Lays. That will be up next. Um, looking forward to that. And uh, next week, I'm going to read over the Sandy Trujillo transcripts. That's going to be very interesting. Um, in the off chance that something interesting does come up between now and then, of course, uh, in the OC as far as politics is concerned, you better believe it's going to be on here. We're going to talk about it in depth. We're going to tell you the things that you don't get to hear about otherwise because the Orange County Register is not covering it, everything the way it happens for you. So you have to get some uh, your good political information somewhere. And when it's a slow news week, we'll talk about Obama because it's so much fun. Uh, and John McCain if he ever shows his head. Uh, like I said... 
coming up next is Play It As It Lays. And uh, my name is Cameron Jackson. This is The O.C. Show. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Pleased to be your radio host for this last hour. Um, Keep your ears out. It's a good show coming up next, and I will talk to you all later.